Hi, everyone, and welcome to Being the Work. My name is Ben. Hi, I'm Blakely. It is great to be back with you today. I have missed you. I've missed you, too. We've been offline for a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sucked. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten very used to these big brain times. (laughs) Big brain times, yes. (laughs) Yes. When we Uh, talk, it usually gets pretty deep. It does. And that's, I mean, I think that's why we're set up the way we are, right? Yeah, yeah. With big questions and big conversations, yes, which we have to recover from. Yes, and while we we recover, we think back on the lessons we learned of what we talked about and why we talked about it. So today's question is about doing and being the work and all the variations of what that means. We had explored pretty thoroughly when we decided to call this project being the work. You know, there's so much of what mm-hmm. we do that's do the work, do the work, do the work. Yep. It works if you work it. Work, work, work. <laughs> and then we're also yeah. coaching people to just be. Be authentic. Be present. Be mindful. Yeah. Open up and, this conversation about what does it mean to actually be a human in this work. And also know that we need to do work for ourselves. Like, this is hard work. And we experience... At least I'll speak for myself. I experience the hurt that my clients experience and I care about them. And so I'm attuned to them and attuned to their pain. And I can't help but soak it up because I think it goes back to, well, just who I am, but also my philosophy on life that all of us are connected. Everything is in context and is very existential. We live life from our perspective and we can't help but be born into a system of meaning. Mm. And this is very much like me just explaining social, the basics of social constructionism. And that's just where I come from. You can't help but have that perspective that, that all of us are connected and It kind of shows up, I think, in, I reference Brene Brown and Pima Chodron. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll leave those references in the show notes. Absolutely. If you've been listening for, you know, for the last couple of episodes, I don't think it's surprising to hear that we have, that part of what we share is this, like, strong focus on really meaning of life and creating that meaning and, and, and seeking that out, especially through treatment. And I think that's also what motivates us to, to bring it back to ourselves and, and our peers. This, this, this project, I think you've described it as, as a, a love letter to, you know, to the helpers, to mm-hmm. our profession, to our field, to the people who yeah. are supporting the suffering, especially right now. And so for all of us to also be on the journey of, of meaning and purpose and satisfaction and that deeper level while supporting other people and doing it too, that's a lot to juggle and a lot to balance. And so I think really thinking intentionally about where, how, who, what, why we do that is important. Yeah, absolutely. It is absolutely important. Yeah. Today, I had a question for you. Yep. What does it mean to you 
when we say, let's do and be the work? That's my question for you. Okay. Hmm. I will take the the heat for sort of coming around to that term or making it up. I don't know if I made it up or if I came across it. I don't know where it came from. I think uh, I brought it to you. Yeah. So I better have some sense of idea of what I mean by it. <laughs> I I wanted to ask the question because think the more I I wanted to ask the question because last time we talked about watershed moments. Yeah. That turning kind of, points. Yeah, that brought us to the to our career. And mm-hmm. I thought about just as we talked through that conversation, it really reminded me of my early career and what it what success meant to me right is so much different than what it means to me now well because i think it's so funny because this project has has us on this journey of reflection and projection whatever like looking ahead looking behind really really thinking deep about what we do and just who we are as people yeah and there's there is that progression, those origin stories. I think about those values that pushed me in this direction. I think about the the good and bad life experiences that pushed me this way. But then we started doing it, and it feels like I don't have anything. I don't have the same work in doing it that I did to get to do it. Say more about that. I think it's a sense of on purpose or prescribed when you're becoming a social worker, when you're becoming a therapist, when you're becoming any kind of helper, mental health professional, there is a long process of learning and growing and considering, you know, that's when, that's when we're really challenged of what kind of client do you think you could not work with? What kind of client do you think you would work best with? And it's all speculation. And so you have to be introspective. And then when you're actually doing the work, there are these confused or suffering or hurting people sitting in front of you that are expecting things from you and you're going forward. There's just not the same pause to consider who we are and how that affects us. I think I said it maybe not last time, but a a time or two before when we were talking about some of the origin stuff that I think that self-care is dependent on self-love. And I don't think that we talk about self-love for us ever. We talk about self-love for our clients all the time, but where's the self-love for us? And I do think that self-love and self-care is a lot of that line in between doing and being the work. Or maybe that's flipped around. Well, I think it depends on how you define doing and how you define being, right? Because I think of love as an existence. Love is almost a living being thing on its own. Mm -hmm. There's a reason we attach hearts to love. Like it's a beating, living, it feels like life. Yeah. And doing things, it feels like work. Right. It feels like getting shit done. It feels two-dimensional. And that's fine because we have to do that all day, every day. Mm -hmm. We are walking checklists. But where's the essence? Mm -hmm. What is that essence for you then? And and I I suppose 
my question is twofold. How did you define doing the work and being the work, that, that essence? How did you define that early in your career versus in the last couple years when we have like both been on this journey to like find self-care and self-love? That question's hard because I don't think I did. I think that I had to come to terms with this feeling of something conflicting. I knew it was there, but I couldn't identify what those battling sides were. Mm. And this is what I think it is. I love doing this work. I love being present with people. And it's funny because I had a conversation with a client last week that was on this topic of taking care of yourself. And he's someone who has a lot of responsibility, has one a full-time job, has a hobby job that takes up a lot of hours a week. He has five kids. He had, I mean, his life is really full. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, taking all of that responsibility around with you, you are someone you're responsible for caring for too. You are something on that list. And he sat back and had one of those epiphany moments when I pointed that out. And A, that's what I live for. That's exactly what we're doing this for. And B, that's just how shocking it is that we are on the list of things we're responsible for. Not just on the list, we should be at the top of the list. We can't be okay. Our lives can't be okay if we're not okay. And we're included in that too. That's not just for my clients. And I think that that is something that is so ubiquitous that we put ourselves last. Those of us that are helpers have a really high level of responsibility or take a a lot of responsibility on for caring for other people and their well-being. Right. It reminds me of when Brene Brown quotes Pima Chodron mm-hmm. about compassion. Mm-hmm. And she says, Pima says, when we practice generating compassion, we can expect to experience our fear of pain. Compassion practice is daring. And it's a very human thing to be willing enough to, and it's a very courageous thing, to be willing enough to enter into fear and enter into pain when someone else needs it. Yeah. When someone else needs us to be, when they need help coming out of the darkness that they're in. Like there's very little uh, in my life that I can see as more more important than having someone with me while I'm going through a really hard time. I don't I mean if and I mean we could see that through a, you know different theories of psychotherapy as well. Absolutely, it shows up in a lot of places. And so I think that kind of for me brings me to sort of how I experienced doing and being the work when I was early in my, in my career. Yeah. I'm curious what you, what you think about that, because I'm still, still while we're talking, I'm trying to reflect back and think if I had, I'm trying to remember if I had any grasp of this shit. And I think I felt like I did, but I don't know if I really did. Well, to be honest, I don't know that I had a grasp on what I'm talking about now. <laughs> right. 
I know I didn't have that. The grasp that I have, <laughs> the what I remember grasping was being the straight A therapist. Like, I wanted to be the most skilled. I wanted to be the most knowledgeable. I wanted to feel legitimate. And I grasped at legitimizing myself by what I could do. And so I felt like I became the work. I became like the best that I could do was to learn as much as possible. And my value came from that. Yeah. And I don't know that I honestly, I don't know that I even had like a supervisor asking me personal questions to see, you know, what am I trying to say? I was soaking up, I was soaking up the same type of like attitude as my supervisors. Of course. Because what I know I had then was this sense of a lack of experience. I've been a learner my whole right. life. I can give you the book answer to anything you ask me. Right. I don't have the experience to back it up. And I know that's just going to take time. And so I did. I dove in and I, I let the people who have done it, who know, who have the experience I don't have, teach me what they have to teach me. I got my professors to teach me everything they have. And so maybe I was, oh God, maybe that was a really naive thing to do is to expect those people to have more of the wisdom that I needed. And they did, and they didn't. My sense of being was to do. Um, And that's where my value came. And it wasn't until probably like 2018 when I, was it 2018? Maybe early 2019 was when I started to rethink this because um, I had started my PhD program. Um, I had started my PhD program and I did a whole semester of my first semester, fall semester of, of 2018, and it was all online. And so the ambiguity of not knowing who was reading my posts every single week and who was actually responding to my posts, like not knowing that I I freaked myself out (laughs) thinking this is a PhD program. I've already been denied from a PhD program before. So I got to really up my intellectual game. And I tried to sound the smartest ever. And to be honest with you, I got good feedback from my professor. She's one of the my favorite professors I've ever had. She was extremely encouraging, had great feedback, and knowing that I had looked her up before the semester started, and she ran the counseling program at Johns Hopkins once. Wow. And she, you know, retired uh, from tenure at Johns Hopkins. And so that freaked me out too. And I'm like, I'm just some kid from the Midwest trying to be smart. But why, why is the default not good enough? (laughs) Well, that's, because from where I sit, I mean, (laughs) what I know about you, 
would not tell me there's any reason that you were not up to par with whomever you're in class with. Right. You're pretty knowledgeable, <laughs> and you speak pretty well. There's not a lot to question there. But that's easy <laughs> for you. me to say. Thank you. I really appreciate that because sure. I soak that stuff in <laughs> still. But I know I could. I it yeah, was. We could share was, those more often, I suppose. Yeah, I do think so. I think that we we could be more generous with one another, and I'm just talking about me and you. But I think that that's also why we're doing this this podcast too. Sure. It was spring 2019 that I finally came together with the people that I had been in class with uh, that follow that uh, previous semester. And uh, shout out to my friend, Emily Johnson. She brought up, um, I can't remember who, which one of us talked to. I think we both talked to our professor who was the same professor from the previous semester. And I was just like, you know what? This just feels pretty lonely. And em- Emily was also talking to her and saying the same stuff. And so I think Dr. Gwendon, shout out Dr. Gwendon, I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> Asked us to get together and talk about this stuff. And Emily had a great idea of just kind of coming up with a way to kind of create a community among, you know, the graduate students. And so from then on, it started me on this whole road down um how i treat others how i treat myself what my value is and i started to really rethink a lot of things of how i approached this and so hmm. i would say that you know now that it's 2021 and this this far down the road i think that doing the work is just an expression of who i am and I have to be aware of what's influencing me, what's brought me here, what keeps me here, uh, what choices I make, what watershed moments I go through on a day-to-day basis, um, and even the bigger ones, the big choices in my life, so that I know how I'm actually impacting my clients. and. That's not just to say, oh, I need to be responsible for my clients and not hurt them. But it is also that I don't discount how important I am to them. Mm-hmm. Because the, the moments that I live for in therapy that make me go, this is exactly why I do this work, are those aha moments and those life-changing watershed moments for my clients that help them be more autonomous in their life and be more aware of themselves and um, to feel more joy and to feel more power. And I can't say, like, (laughs) I think it's kind of a shitty thing to do to say, oh, I'm not that important in this process. And, oh, they wouldn't really miss me if I were gone. No. I think that does a disservice to everyone involved. And so this self-love idea is not just to go, oh, you need to value yourself. But I think I also need to value my impact on the positive impact that I bring on into people's lives. Well, I think that's part of, I think that's part of valuing 
you in the first place. Valuing the energy that you put out into the world is yeah. I mean, getting into some existential stuff that could be arguably your whole existence. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It makes me think too, like, you know, obviously I am talking like I can't, I can't discount the fact that I impact other, my clients. And I mean, that's the point, right? (laughs) While also they impact me. And just going back to that, the Pima quote on compassion is that we're willing to feel the pain with a person. I think around in that book that she's got, um, and we'll put that link up in the show notes uh, to that book, but around that definition of compassion is that she's talking about how it's between two equals, not between an authority figure and, you know, so it, it is being a participant. And this is similar to what um, I think Besser van der Kolk talks about in The Body Keeps the Score, is that people are a participant in their treatment, not just a patient. And because he talks about how being a patient, you you give up your autonomy to the doctors and even the pharmaceutical companies to fix you in the medical model of treatment versus being an actual participant. And so as we are treating our clients, they are also impacting us as well. And I just can't discount that reciprocal process. Like it just seems irresponsible. Sure. Because there's no mystery that you and I operate in an existential theory. What's the meaning of our lives? How do we live the best version of that? Like, that's really where I think Mm -hmm. our orientations overlap. And I'm very aware of the energy that is created in my exchanges with clients. That affects them and it affects me. I have dogs and we're going to have to live with them showing up. Yes. Because they're hounds and they won't make themselves unknown. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us at Being the Work. This is a love letter to all the therapists out there and all the helping professionals that are supporting people through hard times every single day. We want to hear from you. We'd love to hear your stories about how you experience your clients' pain and their joy in sessions. We'd love to hear how we can support you through this journey of helping people, and we'd love to share your stories. You can reach us at Being the Work on Instagram, or you can email us beingthework at gmail.com. So considering all of that energy that we create, it doesn't just like poof out of existence when they leave my office. Yeah. I have to absorb some of it. And what I have to do is immediately absorb some of it most of the time and pick up and do it again with someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I've wondered, I've wondered over time, where's all that going? What am I doing with it? Sure. 
Right. And if I wonder what I'm doing with it, then I have to also wonder why am I not attempting to do something on purpose with it? Right. And I think part of that has led me here too, is I feel the conflict. I feel the, the friction of all of that living inside of me, the, the emotions that we go through and the thoughts that we go through and the, just the complex networks of things that we think about and talk about. What do I do with it? What do you do with it? I mean, now I do some different things with it. I have found a much more mindful space in my life. I have found, I found things to do. Right. But that's why that's always felt conflictual is I have to find a way to be in order to do what I need to do. Right. And I think that has been much more worth my energy and what I have finally, just in this last year, started to refocus myself on. Mm-hmm. What is my life right now? Practicing some radical fucking gratitude. And it has changed my perspective. It's changed my energy. I can be happier with things that are not entirely happy all the time. Peace is worthwhile. Sure. Yeah, you've embraced peace more. Absolutely. I, I, had, some sort of, I had some sort of illusion that I operate on some chaos. And I, and I do. Like I can appreciate some chaotic stuff. I can appreciate the weird in life. Let your freak flag fly tends to be one of my little sayings. Yeah. But there's a difference of how that arrives at home. And I think I just carried a chaos storm with me everywhere I went for a really long time. Yeah. What do you think was the kind of the watershed moment that brought you to this place of embracing peace and um, like knowing like it's been on your mind for a while. I know that you store up energy and that we exchange energy with our clients and that it can kind of sit with us like deeply. And so what do you think the watershed moment was to help you sort of embrace um, the peace like now? Well, and that's, that's what I'm, a couple of those moments are what I'm talking about, about practicing some really radical gratitude and being grateful for what I have and what I can grab control of. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I have, I have tiny children mirrors here reflecting back to me what I'm putting out in my house. I became very aware that I was leaking out a lot of chaos and anger and just irritation in my house. And I wasn't okay with that. Uh-huh. And Fortunately or unfortunately, the conditions that were put on us through COVID, I can remember pretty vividly a day that I was working in my bedroom and I have team meetings and I have sessions and I have tons and tons, just lists of shit I have to get done. And I just, in the middle of everything, slammed my laptop closed and just laid down and cried. Yeah. And when I had that, when I was waking up morning after morning after morning at four or five o'clock in the morning with just an elephant weight on my chest of existential dread, something wasn't right. Yeah. That energy was not being channeled in ways that were making me better or probably making anyone else better. And that's what, that's what is most important to me. 
when I become a conduit of not growth, not positivity, and I was afraid that that's where I was going to go. Sure. My tank was, I felt the bottom. I found the bottom. Yeah. And it had to change. Do you feel like that, because as, as, as I'm listening to you, I realize that I notice, uh, <laughs> I notice that I am more willing to make change in my life because it's negatively impacting my clients. And they are kind of first in line, but like I'll endure BS in my life. Um, if it's, you know, if it's just impacting me, that's fine. I'll endure it. If it's impacting my family, then it's a next level change. Like, okay, I don't want it to affect them. But if it starts affecting my clients, right? then it's a, a threshold that's unbearable. I can't allow that to happen. And I don't think that it's just because um, it's like a, a codependent thing, um, because it's I do value my clients uh, very highly, and it's it goes back to that like loving responsibility. Like I dedicated my life years ago to helping people who are vulnerable, and. And that's a dedication that I've, you know, lived with for a long time. It, it, it is a driving force of purpose in my life. Um, however, it is also a fear of losing my livelihood. Because if I'm letting something impact my clients, then I could, I mean, there's consequences to that, that one client could just be fed up and leave. Two, a client could be fed up, leave, and report me to the state board. Um, the state board could come back and I'd have to defend myself or even lose my license or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there is a very real sense of danger. Yeah, and so when it just impacts me, that's something I can deal with. Um, and it's like an important thing, but it's not a critical thing that needs to change now. Right. Um, but if it's impacting my clients, like that's something that I have to be very, or I have felt at least that I need to be very vigilant about. And so that order of importance seems backwards to me where if I put myself first and I put my loved ones first and I have this, what's traditionally looked at as like, the work-life balance, then cool. Like then that would be a little bit more in in the terms of self-love and and embracing myself and really trying to nurture myself and not just like I love how you put it uh, in an earlier episode that we're not just babysitting ourselves for self-care, <laughs> right? That we actually do need to embrace self-love so that we could actually learn to nurture what needs to be nurtured. And so um, I don't buy into this whole like work-life balance thing, but that's what's typically like what's talked about. Yeah, that's the turn of phrase. I don't know that that's, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, but 
the essence of it, I think I can appreciate. Yeah, I don't like it because my life is my work. My life is my work. And that's, that is what I'm talking about, about like doing and being is now like I am who I am. And that is why I do what I do. I think that, I think they have to be, I don't think it's possible for our work and our lives to be balanced with what we do, but I think they can be in harmony. Mm -hmm. They can play a tune together that doesn't sound horrible to our ears. Right. Right. Where I know that both of us have had that experience of if I could just keep work at work and life in life and keep them separate, then I'll be okay. And And I had a pretty long streak where I thought I was doing that successfully. And I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't. Yeah, compartmentalizing it. But it I think the timing of everything is really crucial too, because we are both millennials, which indicates we are both thirty mm, something ish. Yeah. And I think there's a season of life that we're experiencing at this time too. So COVID is colliding with me being in my mid thirties, which is colliding with my children being relatively young and my career being kind of midstream. And so my twenties really could be all about my work and my learning and me. And they really were. And then I think becoming a parent put for the first time in my life, something above my, my clients and my work. And I didn't, I was aware of that. I knew that my life and my family were changing, but I hadn't put those two things together. Mm -hmm. And that was what I think also started to add a new friction that I'm willing to sacrifice myself. I'm not willing to sacrifice my children. Sure. And so I had a different awareness and a different perspective that I could see things that I hadn't seen Mm -hmm. before. Things like how I show up in the world outside of my work that were not ways that I felt good about. Right. Yeah. And I I see that in context of the sort of mission you had at the mental health center to make it a better, more welcoming place, uh, a safe place for the vulnerable populations. Absolutely. And how it felt like a failure. I don't know if you're okay with me sharing all of this. Absolutely. I don't mind. um, Like, how you felt like it would have been a failure to leave. Mm -hmm. And that, just what you said right there, like allowing it to affect you is fine, but not, you know, you were being very protective of your children um, when you left. And that makes so much sense to me. Because I remember talking with you after COVID hit and we started doing... um, video chats from your house to keep us both sane you were at your house i was at my house and we were meeting a couple times a week just to (laughs) just to keep just to keep our heads above water yes i could see you know your daughters interacting with you and just the love that i saw um was was like wow like that i guess Going back to this whole, whole like keeping life separate, life separate from work mm-hmm. is like, I never got to see that obviously because I wasn't in your home. Yeah. And 
uh, when I when we were at work. And so being able to see that brought a whole different context. And you know how much I love context. <laughs> um, so true. Like brought a whole new level of understanding of what's important to you in your life. Because I have never heard you talk like that to anyone ever <laughs> from our peers to uh, clients to anyone. And I had the privilege of getting trained by you uh, to do intakes at the mental health center. And um, I got to see how you interacted with people. And I respected that. Thanks. While also being able to see you interact with your kids uh, through COVID was special. Yeah. Like, I can't even say that I respect it. It was just so, like, I felt like I was seeing a window into your affection. And it was like, it was crazy. It was awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Well, because I've talked about this sense of, like, my work so much feels like a stitching together of, of seemingly conflictual forces. And sure, that is what I have been doing. I, I, I rerouted a lot of those energy tracks. I unplugged some things and plugged new things in and adjusted some levels in my life so that I can stitch together my own shit so that the version I am at work is not that dissimilar from the version I am in real life, that I'm not throwing so much of my quote unquote better self into my work that I don't have any of it left after five o'clock. At this point, I think that people who interact with me see a much more consistent version of me. And that's what I hope. That's just what I want to be. Yeah. So that I can be and do the work. It feels better. (laughs) Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels a lot more genuine and authentic. And I'm talking about myself. No. And I entirely. Because I, I, I resonate with that a lot. Yeah. It just helps me feel very much like a whole human being and not just like, you know, uh, this, you know, do all the therapy sessions um, and then be so exhausted at the end of the day that I have to just like lay flat for a long time and I'm just recovering and recouping so that I could go do it the next day. And um, yeah, like I, I think that there's just something very life-giving about this time of life of being like in trying to really deconstruct what it means to be a therapist and for me to be authentic and yeah so doing the work is you know that i i know what i'm and what my tasks are absolutely and being for me is trying to embrace who i am let that person show up and be genuine in in the sessions like trying to get things right and not be scared to say i don't know Mm -hmm. i said a while ago that i thought every time i went into a therapy session it felt like a pop quiz in school (laughs) yeah um and that most of the time in school, pop quizzes would 
send me into a panic because I wasn't prepared and I wanted to get good grades. Of course. <laughs> and so when it comes to this, it's been a practice for me recently, and I would say recently, meaning the last couple years, to really check myself and be aware of when I'm starting to panic. And it usually means that I'm attaching some sense of identity or value of who I am to the answers that I can give mm -hmm. rather than, you know, seeing it as like a <laughs> overall, how do I help us uh, as partners in this process? Right. How do I help the team? Right. How do I treat you as a participant and a team member rather than just me as expert? Right. That's helped me see myself mo much more as a human rather than a therapy machine. <laughs> so. Well, and it, it, we know this in the work that we do. We have to teach people things that seem or feel like a, almost like a, a backdoor way, right? Like it doesn't seem yeah. like mindfulness would give you all of these benefits just by sitting still and being quiet. Like that's not all of it, but being present is immensely valuable. And so we have to do that too. Sometimes it feels like we go from a reverse order to get to where we need to be. And that's okay. Start with yeah. you. Right. That's important. That's the only way to have the confidence and the contentment that being, existing in the way that I think we all want to. Yeah, and I just can't help but think that there's so many therapists out there that endure doing this work alone. And they, you know, we're all in our own little silos, you know, the connecting space for us, uh, at least for me and you, uh, when we worked together was the hallway, you know, or when our doors were open and we weren't actually, it didn't have a client in there. Mm -hmm. But every time that we turn away from each other to go do our work, we're doing it in our own offices. Mm -hmm. And even with COVID, we're doing it even at our own homes. Mm -hmm. And with everything going on with my family right now and the health issues, I'm still at home and don't see a future really right now of going back into the office. And so it's all telehealth and from my home. And so we have to be very intentional about, you know, having community in this work. And so more than ever trying to embrace the humanity of us therapists. And for me, particularly to reduce the competitiveness that I felt in the first seven years of my career, um, about let me try to be the best expert that I can be and just embrace that, you know what, we're all trying to do our best and we all have our own version of who we are that we're going to show up with. And so, well, yeah. And talking through this just makes me wonder about the, it's so diverse. Our, our field of work yeah, is so diverse. For sure. The settings we work in, the kinds of people we are, the, the populations we serve. I just wonder what, I wonder what those experiences are and I wonder how other people infuse authenticity and just what, what makes you, you at work. And I hope that's some of what we get feedback on. 
For sure. Which I suppose means For we should sure. remind people that you can find us online. Yeah. want to thank all of you that are listening and and uh, for joining us this is for you and it's a love letter to who we are as as counselors and therapists and professional helpers that what we do is very special and who we are it takes a very special person committed to being compassionate to other people being willing to feel the pain of others to help them out of their darkness that is something that needs to be celebrated. We're pretty awesome at this. Like, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, we're I think awesome we're pretty people. Great. I, and that, I believe in this work, and I believe in those of us who choose to do it. And I am very aware that it's lonely. Very much so. And that's what we're trying to combat here, of bringing our stories to inspire more stories. And so... If any of this reminds you of yourself or if you have a story that gets sparked by one of our stories, please reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram at beingthework, or you can email us beingthework at gmail.com. Let us know um, if you just want to reach out to us and connect with us. We can definitely do that. If you'd like to share a story with us that you'd like shared on the podcast, let us know that that's what you would like to do. And We'll go ahead and share that and let us know how anonymous you want to be as well, because we can keep a pretty good secret. So we're pretty practiced at that. So it's one of those skills, man. I'm a vault, I'm a vault of secrets. <laughs> awesome.